Well, good morning. You can go ahead and have a seat this morning. Uh, maybe 30-year-old now song uh, puts into music and words uh, the beginning verses of Isaiah 6. <clears throat> it's old. I don't, I don't know if you'll remember it. I'll sing a little bit. I see the Lord seated on the throne, exalted. You know the song? And the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And the whole earth is filled. Yes, the whole earth is filled. Yes, the whole earth is filled with his glory. There's more. We're singing holy. Come on. Holy, holy again. Holy, you are holy. Holy is the Lord. That's good. Let's do it again. Holy, holy, holy. Let's bring it back, Laura. Let's bring it back. I've been thinking a lot about God's glory this week and what it would look like, what it looks like that the whole earth is full of his glory. I mean, in Isaiah 6, it's the angels, right? It's the cherubim that Paul read about, that we read about in the prayer of the psalm. Surrounding the throne, and they're, they're, they're casting some vision for Isaiah. And they're the ones that say, oh, yeah, 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 you see the train of his robe filling the temple with glory, Isaiah. But let me tell you something else. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when the realization, it's almost as if the realization dawns on the whole congregation there, and they all begin in one voice to sing, holy is the Lord. And so we come this morning to our last week in Epiphany, which ends with a glimpse of the glory of God. And we're asked to consider what it means that the whole earth is full of his glory. And so God has always been about his own glory. Some people are uncomfortable when I say this. Oh, wait, we want God to be about other things. It is true that God is on our side. You hear this a lot. It is only true in this much. God is on his own side and invites us into his glory. That's why he's on our side. God is on his own side, but through mercy invites us into his glory to stand with him on his side. And so our scripture passages today, and even this picture of transfiguration, shows us glory past 
present, and future. The past is very obvious. Moses and Elijah. As the, as the apostles, the disciples wake up, they see a conversation. They see a triad. They see three people talking about glory. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And Paul also read just a little glimpse of, you know, there's a lot of conjecture among theologians why it's Moses and Elijah. Why is it not other people? Why is Moses and Elijah there? And by the way, a lot of good thought I'm not going to go through. Lots of great thought. But I'll give you the definitive reason why today, me. I'm going to tell you why. It's a joke. There's lots of reasons. But, but here's the one that I want to concentrate on today. Both Moses and Elijah have already had a glory experience on top of a mountain with God. They've both had it. The passage, the part of the passage we read today, you'll remember that Moses says to God, before he gets the Ten Commandments, he says, I want to see you. And God says, yeah, I know you want to, but that's a bad idea. Because anyone who looks directly at me, Moses, will surely die. My glory will just overwhelm you. But God is good. He's good. He's always been gracious with his glory. Let's just pause for a moment. There's something changing at transfiguration. The revelation of his glory is evolving. But his glory and his generosity and glory remain unchanged. He has always been generous. So he does not say no to Moses. He says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to hide you in the mountain. Right? I'm going I'm to hide you under a mountain. And you're going to turn your face in toward the mountain. Like, guard your eyes. And I'll walk by. Quick. And then Moses comes off of the mountain after communing with God and getting the Ten Commandments. And the people are terrified. They're terrified by the glory of God that is reflected on Moses' face. Have you ever thought about this? I mean, they, 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 weren't anywhere, they weren't near God in the cleft of the mountain. But Moses comes down and God's glory is so generous and so bright and so kind and so loving that it is transferred from Moses to the people, so much so that the people are so terrified that they do this. You know this move? Hey, Moses, how you? Good. And Moses has to call the priest. He's got to call Aaron and the priest. He's got to call him and say, go tell everybody they can come closer. And Aaron and the priest say, yeah, but they're freaked out because your face is shiny. And so Moses says, hang on. And he puts a veil over his face. And the people come, and they hear about the glory of the Lord. And Elijah has a mountaintop experience, but his was very different. Elijah is running for his life, and he's actually most likely in a pretty deep depression. And he goes and he hides on the mountain. And God, a voice comes to him and says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? And then God, it says in that story, it's, you read it, it's 1 Kings 19, it's amazing. It says that God passed by Elijah. And in that glory, what follows God is earth, wind, and fire. Literally. A tornado first that actually rocks the mountains and causes them to crumble. This mighty wind. And then an earthquake shakes the ground. And then fire comes through. And we're told in the passage that Elijah didn't see the glory of God in all of that. And sometimes we think it's because God's glory wasn't in all of that. God's glory was absolutely in all of that. I think, frankly, Elijah was so scared by it 
that he missed it. Pretty frightening stuff. Mountains fallen, earth shaken, fire burning things up. And so God in his graciousness reveals his glory to Elijah in something he can understand. A still, small voice, a whisper. Elijah, what are you doing here? God's glory has always been generous and kind. Sometimes we talk about these two stories and we say, oh, all of the terror and all of that stuff. God's not being kind and generous. God's being infinitely kind and generous that he would allow human beings to even get a glimpse of his glory. But God's not done. And now we're transported to this mountain again, probably a different mountain, but another mountaintop experience. And three more of God's servants wake up to see the glory of God shining on Jesus like lightning. Luke is the great uh, analogy giver. Remember, the Spirit of God comes down like a dove. And in this case, his face shines like lightning. You know, when lightning cracks at its very hottest point, you got to, right? It's, wow, that's bright. I can't see that. And he comes to Peter and James and John, and there he is. And they are, dis- they are also terrified, we're told. It must be ringing in their heads, God's word to Moses. You cannot see my face, because if you do, you will surely die. And they're scared. And I got to tell you, they probably should be. And they're terrified for a moment. But something remarkably different happens. Peter, James, and John not only see the glory of God in Jesus, but they are invited into the glory of God. And they do not die. I've been praying for us this week, mostly me, but you. God, how do we talk about your glory and understand it? The weight of this has all the weight of Transfiguration Sunday has always been present to me. Because we're talking about the glory of God breaking in to the normal. We're talking about common people like you and me, like Peter, James, and John, fishermen, being invited into the presence, the glory of God, and not. God is remarkably generous with his glory. And what happens at the Mount of Transfiguration is we see a new generosity, a growing generosity. No longer is the glory of God have to be seen through a veil. No longer does it have to be looked at from the cleft of a rock. No longer does it have to be communicated to us through someone else who saw the glory. No. Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, come in. And so they go to Jesus. They don't pull this move. I mean, they probably did it first. What is going on here? But just like Moses invites the people to come, Jesus invites us through his disciples. Come into the glory. Come here. And so 
they come in and a cloud descends and they're inside the glory of God. The transfiguration is a grand invitation to join God in his glory here and now in the present. And so, Peter responds. Can I just say something about our friend Peter, the Apostle Peter? Peter gets a bum rap. Okay, can we all just agree? He gets a bum rap. Have you ever heard the sermon about Peter walking on water and the emphasis of it is that he looks at the water and falls in? I always want to scream when someone's preaching that way. Yeah, but there's two guys who ever walked on water and Peter's one of them. And by the way, Jesus is the other one. I mean, Peter's the guy that gets out of the boat. Yeah? He's also the guy that cuts off the ear. Okay. We get it. But Peter acts and he moves. And he sees. And yeah, sometimes he doesn't get it. Can we really blame Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration for not getting what's going on? Oh, come on. I think that he actually responds in a pretty healthy way. He says, we've just seen Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. Let's build three tabernacles. Let's worship. Let's preserve the moment of glory. What Peter's really saying is, let's stay up here for a while or forever. Why would we go anywhere? Not only Jesus, but Elijah and Moses. The glory of God. But Luke tells us something about this idea. And he's not busting Peter. Luke's not busting Peter. He says it in a really gracious way. He says, Peter didn't really know what he was saying. You see, what Peter wants to do in that moment is he wants to preserve this moment. But what Jesus knows and what we know now is that there is a new way that Jesus' glory will be revealed. And we are told that Jesus' ultimate glory will be revealed at the cross. So Peter said, let's stay on the mountain. And Jesus invites him into something greater. No, I've already told you that to follow me, you have to take up your cross. You'll have to die to yourself. You'll have to join me at the cross. And Jesus again says, let's go do that now. And we know this is going to happen because Luke is also the only gospel writer who tells us what these three giants are talking about. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. He's the only one that tells us. We, we know they had a conversation in Matthew and Mark, but Luke tells us what they're talking about. They are talking about Jesus' death on the cross. The this, this, this scripture tells us. They were talking about his departure, which actually the word is exodus. Interesting that Moses is talking about exodus. Whole nother sermon, which I've preached before. We'll do it again some other time. His departure. They're talking about his death. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. They're going over the events that are going to take place, what Luke tells us, in just a few days in Jerusalem. Just a few weeks. Just a short time. They're talking about his death. And so what happens presently is that the way we enter in and the way that God has been generous with us in his glory presently. Now listen, because this doesn't make sense to us earthly wise. But the way that we're invited into his glory and the way that God is generous is through the cross. Not only in the sacrifice of Jesus for our sakes, but the invitation to join him 
by picking up our cross and following along in his footsteps. We're told in John that the Son of Man will be lifted high like the serpent in the desert and his glory fully revealed. We are invited into present glory. You know, Peter did what we sometimes want to do. And I have said from this pulpit so many times, I'll say it again, I am so thrilled and thankful that God does not despise our humanness. Amen? There's no scolding of Peter here. There's not. Anyone who preaches that way missed it. Jesus gives some direction we'll talk about in a minute, but there's no scolding. There's an invitation for Peter. No, we need to go down the mountain, Peter. We need to follow the cross now. There is a greater glory to come. In his sermon, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis talks a little bit about the rewards found through the cross. You've probably heard this quote before. It's a couple of sentences, but you'll recognize it, I think. Here's what Lewis says. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire his glory. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like a child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are very often too easily pleased. Jesus' glory happens through the cross, and we, like his disciples, we as his disciples, are invited into this glory to join him. That is our present glory. And quickly, there is a future. For the disciples on this mountain, the future glory is actually our past glory. We know from Matthew and Mark, Jesus tells them, don't talk about this until after the resurrection. Luke tells us they held on to it till after the resurrection. Don't talk about it till after the resurrection. And so they hold on to it. Their future glory is the resurrection of Jesus that will come a few days after the cross. Hold on to it till then. People will get it. That's the future glory. And so Peter gives us some commentary on the transfiguration in 2 Peter in chapter 1. Here's what he says. His divine power has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory. Peter does hold on to it, but not for long. And he says we are invited to everything we have in life and godliness through his glory, the glory of the resurrection.
And so for us, we live in a present glory that is steeped in resurrection. Yes, the cross, but also resurrection. His glory is now and loving and kind and here. And there will be a future glory that we have not yet experienced. And this is where things get really tricky. Because for those of us who live in an already not yet glory, we recognize the glory of resurrection, yet we wait for a greater resurrection, a finished resurrection, a consummated resurrection, a resurrection where reward and eternity and glory, where the past, the present, and the future will become one and forever. As I get older... Not a day goes by where I don't long for this glory. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We shall dwell in the house of Zion. Our reward will be complete. Our ultimate rest realized. The past, the present, and the future glory of God joined into one existence. There's a future glory coming. And we are invited to feast on it. I think the best picture that we have for this glory is actually in what we'll do in just a few minutes, which I am always glad to do every Sunday, and that is finish with the Eucharist, but I am never more glad than on Transfiguration Sunday to finish with the Eucharist. Because it seems to put in to actions and words, what I am incapable of doing. We come and we recognize the past glory of God. We come this morning and we receive the bread and the wine and we are remembering the crucified Christ. We're celebrating his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And we are recognizing our current present need for his help to take up our crosses and follow him. But that's not all we do. We're celebrating the real presence of Christ in the here and now, in the living Lord our God, who is with us and invites us into his glory right here, right now, right in this room. We are sharing in the glory of his active, transforming heart. Right now. But even that is not it. We are looking ahead to the final consummation of all that he has begun. There is a great assurance in the Eucharist that we will be with Christ forever and enjoy God's glory together, everlasting. In some of our liturgies, we make a bold, confident statement. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. In our epiphany this year, we've asked a simple question. This is all great, Brian. So what? What's it mean? Right now, what does it mean? What would it look like for God's glory to fill the whole earth? What's the invitation to us here at Apostles to enter your glory, God? So what about the transfiguration? What changes today for me because of it?
The resurrection invites us to die to our own desires, our own affections, and to live in resurrection power of grace. There is a reason that Transfiguration Sunday comes on the last day of Epiphany, and generally, well, always, three days before Ash Wednesday. Because we are about to enter a time where we will be called to fasting and confession and generosity and justice. This is Lent. We will be called to the cross. We will be called to the present glory of God. And we will walk it in fasting and confession and generosity and justice. These are the way of the cross. And so I invite you. I invite you to Ash Wednesday service, which will be this Wednesday at 7 p.m. right here. We do it here. It's intimate. Uh, There will be a Eucharistic celebration. We will impose ashes. If you've never had ashes imposed on Ash Wednesday, you should try it. It's moving. It's humbling. The recognition that we're dust and to dust we will return is beautiful. You should come. And then uh, next Sunday, the first Sunday in Lent, we will begin our service by praying the Great Litany together. It is a great litany because it is powerful, and it is a great litany because it is long. (laughs) And we will engage in it fully. And we will join God in all of the things that we have. And if I was allowed to light incense, we'd do that too. Another time for another place. And then in two Sundays, not next Sunday, but a week from then, we've done this once before and we're going to do it again. We're going to have a special uh, service that includes the Eucharist, but also includes a time of prayer, an extended time of prayer. And we're going to have extra prayer teams around here. We've done this a couple years ago, in fact. And we're going to talk about confession in the cross and what Jesus has for us, what he has for us, what he's called us to, to live fully into his glory. And we're going to have the opportunity to lay down anything that isn't in that glory and to pick up all that God has for us. You should come to all of these, even if you're a little freaked out. It's okay. Because we're invited into the glory of God. And in that glory, he meets us with past, present, and future hope, and grace, and justice, and mercy. And we offer this humbly in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.